Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, some of the people that were joining today have already been serving. And, you know, sometimes you forget, like, who's a member and who's not. I, I thought some of y'all was already members. Uh, but it's, it's, it's good to, uh, uh, what they say, uh, put a ring on it. We're not just dating the church no more. We actually, we actually married to the church now. So it's, it's good. All right, let's get our Bibles and get to work. We got a little bit of work to do. We're going to be in Matthew, first book of the Bible. Of the, of the New Testament, I should say. The book of Matthew is where we're going to hang out. Once you get there, go to Matthew chapter number 20. Hey, listen, there's a few things happening this, this week that I just want to double down on and want you to pay attention to. Um, Gabe actually announced them. By the way, Gabe is back, y'all. Shout out to Gabe. He done grew his beard in, looking all nice and full. It connects. It's not patchy. It just, it's right, man. But Gabe, you know, Gabe and, and, his, um, and his beautiful wife, Keisha, have been a part of the church since the inception of the church. Actually, before we were actually a church, they were the first uh, couple that, that, um, that joined in the pre-work. And at the time, they were not newlyweds, but fairly new in their marriage. And to see um, Gabe and Keisha become parents, you know, of Elia and, and now baby Jace, it is so good. So we, we love you, Gabe. We missed you, and your absence was certainly felt. Keisha, if you're watching, we're certainly praying for your recovery. But y'all just don't know how much Gabe does, and I don't think y'all know how much I love Gabe. Like, like, like you can't talk about Gabe in my presence, because they're going to be, I, I will literally shoot you in your knee. But let's give Gabe some love one more time, y'all. I hope you felt we missed you. Okay. But Gabe announced fourth Wednesday prayer and Bible studies coming up this Wednesday. Um, it's typically lighter in the room on our Bible studies. I really want to uh, beef that up. This is the time that we get to get into the word of God. Yolanda did such a phenomenal job teaching our last Bible study. Amen. And this Bible study, uh, I'm going to be teaching on the incarnation of Christ. And some of you that might be, might be like, ah, that's... We can skip this one. That's not a big deal. It's, it's huge. It's, it's a big deal. It's something that the early church would have rested in well and guarded as a, as a key doctrine of the church. But the incarnation of Christ is simply, what does it mean that Jesus was fully human? The humanity of Jesus. Why did he have to become a human? Why does that even matter? Was he actually fully human? Did he breathe air? Did he eat food? Did he sleep? Why does that matter to me? Why does that matter to salvation? All of that stuff we will, we will dig into. We won't be here. I think y'all know me. Seven to nine. Nine o'clock is like a hard stop. So we'll, we'll be in here seven to nine. We'll pray from seven to seven thirty. Uh, that's not a filler time. We actually want you to be here. And then we will jump in at seven thirty in a little bit of worship and then I will open up the word of God and be able to walk through this topical Bible study on the incarnation of Christ. Also, next week is our seventh year anniversary. It's huge, y'all. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Listen, man, the pandemic took a lot of things out and there were a lot of churches that closed. And I'm, 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 so, I'm so grateful that God sustained us for the last seven years. And honestly, it's been longer than that because we've been doing the work um, since before um, 2016. We really started in 2015, so it's kind of, it feels like eight years, but uh, we're going to celebrate. Uh, one correction, Gabe said, get here on time at 1130. I would just push you to get here earlier. We, we really want to, um, this, we want this to be a Sunday that we celebrate. If you're waiting to invite your friend, next Sunday is a good Sunday to do that. And we got an Uber code. So if they take that Uber here, they're getting a little bit off that Uber. So we would ask that, um, that next week, everybody, if y'all could be here, those of you who are online, it's a good Sunday to come back and kind of hang out with us so we can celebrate together. How many know a party is better when we do it together? And that's what we're going to do. We got some good surprises, but we certainly will be, um, we'll be partying. All right, let's get into the word. I'm talking too much. Matthew 20. Matthew 20. Ty said through the first service, and she said, honey, that, I feel like you've preached that before. And then I realized, like, I really preach the same thing every week, just from a different passage. So I think you should know what to expect as we dig into the text today. We're going to be talking about Jesus, and that's, that's just what it is. Won't you pick me up in verse 1? Are y'all there? 
All right. Verse one, Matthew 20 says, for the kingdom of heaven is like the master, like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers or workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give to you. I need to repeat that. And I just need you to make note of it. Whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went out going again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. He did the same. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand idly all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. Pay attention to the order here, beginning with the last and up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. And when those hired first, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, the last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. You, you know it's different when you work in, in the heat, is, 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 that sun is burning you. So they got a little bit of vinegar in them right now. Verse 13, but he replied to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree? with me for a denarius take take what what belongs to you and go i chose to give to those who worked the last hour as i have given to you i am not allowed am i not allowed to do with what i uh, am i not allowed to do with what i choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge my generosity so the last will be first and the first will be last I want to preach today from the topic entitled, Praise God That Salvation Isn't Fair. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Uh, Father, we are we're so grateful for the opportunities that we have to stand under your word. And so, Father, I pray, oh God, that as we dig into your word, that your, your, your spirit would be present. We, we sang spirit break out. And Lord, that, that song is not just a feeling. That, that song is actually, we're asking you to, to, to engage us and to, to impact us and to change us. So Father, would you speak a word directly to the hearts of your people? Pray that this word would enlighten the eyes of those who don't know you. Pray that it would open up the hearts of those that don't know you and those that are found. I pray that it would strengthen us and help us to be secure in who you are. May we really rest in grace today. Help us not to be grace graduates where we go on in life and we, we don't think we no longer need your mercy and your grace. But Father, may this text remind us of how gracious you are, not just at salvation, but at sustaining us all the way through. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God that salvation isn't fair. Just by a quick show of hands, just because I, I, I want to know who is in the room. How many people would say at, at some point in your life you have experienced being unfairly treated? At some point, at some point, just show your hands. Come on, hold them up, hold them up, hold them up. That's most, if not every hand in the room has experienced on some level of feeling like you were not, you didn't get equality. It was just not fair. Just somebody just either did you wrong. And it could be minute, right? It could be an, an older sibling when you were younger that was able to go out and stay out longer and you had to come home at a certain time or maybe they can go out to see, you know, go out to the movies and you couldn't, you know, you couldn't do that and hang out with friends. It's, maybe it was that and you were like, ah, I'm just not fairly treated. Maybe it was different. Maybe it was a, or currently, maybe it's a job that, you and somebody else went out for and they got the promotion over you, even though you know that you have more tenure over them and you know that you got more skills than them, even with all of that at play, they still got the job and you feel like that's just not fair. I can recall a personal experience in, in my family's life. There was a point right when we were planting the church, when God called us to plant the church, we had to do a two-year residency. At the time, we were living in the suburbs, and our heart just felt so called to not just plant a church, but plant a church in the urban context, in the inner city. We were living in the, in the suburbs of, of Philadelphia, and God 
was very clear with us that for at least two years while we were training that he wanted us to move in the inner city. He wanted us to move into Philly. So we moved into the, almost the roughest section of Philly, the north section of Philly. And when we did so, we said to ourselves, well, we own this house in the suburbs. Should we keep it? Should we sell it? You know, we just didn't have that bread to, to keep it and pay rent somewhere else. So we was like, oh, we just got to figure out what we're doing. So we decided that we were going to become landlords. And I don't, I don't know, you know, if y'all if who in the room is a, is a landlord, you got tenants under you. Um, if you don't know the process and you're not real clear on those laws, I'm just telling you, you can get really get swallowed up in the whole process. And there, there was a moment, Ty and I, we just didn't have a good vetting system at that time. So the people we got in the house just were just nah, shady, just shady. And the situation just wasn't right. It, it would keep us up at night. And then we went, you know, tried to go through the whole legal route. And I'm giving you all a lot. We went through the whole legal route. And I, I'm just telling you, I'll sum it up by saying, I'll spare you with the details. I'll sum it up by saying the process just treated us so unfairly. I can still think back to, to the feeling I had of how unfair we've, we felt. And I think that that probably is everybody in the room. If I, everybody that raised their hand, if I was able to give you time to give the testimony of a moment that you were untreated, I think we all would be like, oh, really? Like, that, that's just not right. That's not, that's not fair. Why would people do that? But what if I told you? What if I told you that God wasn't fair? Now, if you're sitting here going, oh, man, I knew he was a radical. They too young. They don't know no Bible. I, I knew it. Hold on for a second. Because here's the thing. It is true that God isn't fair, seemingly unfair. But I'll say it this way. It's a good thing that he is not fair. But what do I mean by it's a good thing that he is not fair? As a believer, I don't bank on the fairness of God. I bank on the grace of God. Because fairness says, God, give me what I deserve. And if God gives every one of us what we deserve, he'll go, and you'll be in hell before you know it. And so I ain't banking on fairness. I'm banking on God. You got to be merciful. You got to be gracious because your boy is guilty. And what I need is I need for you to skip fairness. Fairness says, give me what I deserve. I need you to give me what I don't deserve. It's only made possible because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so I believe that the passage before us is going to help us to understand the why it's important that God is not fair as it comes to salvation. Now, the context here, quick context, you know, if, if we was in a, a preaching class, they would say you, would ha you have to explain the characters in the text because then people will walk out of here and you'll assume that you're somebody that you're not in the text. So I, I would love to just kind of like walk through the text. The, the first person that we see in the text, by the way, this text is about heaven. How do I know that? Because verse one says, for the kingdom of heaven is like... And so this is, this is about salvation. This is about heaven. It's not just about, you know, who's, who's making money and who's not. This is about heaven. But the first character that is named, that is contributing to this story, is the master of the house. Now, the master of the house is very clearly represented as God. That, that's very clear. I don't want you walking out of here thinking you don't want loaning out money and you don't want hiring workers. This is reserved for God. But then there are workers that are mentioned in the text. And these workers are all standing around the marketplace and they're waiting to be picked up by a job. Now, this is important because I don't think it's kind of hard to contextualize this one. If, if you have a job, typically, even if you're contracted, it, you know, you're not standing out on the corner and waiting for somebody to come out and be like, oh, I need a sink fix. Can you, you, are you, do you do, can you come over to that? That's typically not how it works, unless, unless you go to Home Depot. <laughs> if you go to Home Depot, it's about 30 people standing outside. That's the closest thing that you can understand with this text. If you go to Home Depot on Nostrand, it's about 30 people that are standing outside, and they all waiting for a job. And, 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 and if you need something under the table, me and Ty did it one time. We had a, <laughs> y'all don't tell nobody, because it was, it was under the table. 
But me and Todd was like, oh man, we need, we got this project in the house, we just need to fix. And so we went outside, you know, we went to Nostrand, we went to, we went to Home Depot, and it's about 30 of them. They all waiting for work, so they all surrounded us. It felt like, like a 90s drug deal, you know. <laughs> now, now drug deals happen on the app, but you know, back in the day, you do it on the corner. That's what it felt like. And so we're standing there, and all the end we're like, this is what we need. This. So we found the right person, we got some work done. But seriously, if you need a sink fix, you need the roof fix, you need, you know, you need weeds pulled up out the cement, whatever it is, you need a wall plastered, go to Home Depot. And they stand it outside. So what's happening in the text is these people wake up in the morning. This, this is a parable, so it's, it's a story that Jesus is telling, but it's, it's a story that makes sense to the hearer. Why does it make sense? Because this is how the work situation was. If you went to the marketplace or a corner, you would see construction workers and you could hire them. You would see farmers and craftsmen and, and carpenters and merchants, and you were able to hire them so that they'd come fix your roof, and that would be their work for the day. And so this makes sense to the, the ancient hearer. But I think what doesn't make sense to them is the seemingly unfairness in the story. Because Jesus tells a, tells a story about these five different workers, or really six different workers that are all, five different workers that are all there and they're all competing for a job. And Jesus is like, yo, the master of the house starts to hire all of them. And then they start to see the payout and they're like, ah, it just doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem. This doesn't seem like a, a good. This doesn't seem like a good story. If I'm if I'm the one that feels slighted and is seemingly slighted, but I think at the core of this, all of us really like we like the idea of fairness and equality, and rightfully so. But I think we like it because it, it's it's uh, it's it's quantifiable. Right? It's, it makes you comfortable. It, it makes sense. It's predictable. You do wrong consequences. You do right, no consequence. So we have this right and wrong. But what if I told you that in the kingdom, our idea of justice is actually countercultural? Do you know that? They, like the idea of fairness when it comes to the kingdom is so opposite of what we, of what we believe. And I think this passage is going to help us. In fact, let's just dig in. Pick me back up in verse one. Check this out. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in a vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, please note that. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them off into the vineyard. And going, about, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right for you, I will give to you. So they went out, going again about the sixth hour uh, and the ninth hour, and he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idly? Note this, all day. And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. It's like Oprah just giving out jobs. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call all the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and up to the first. I don't know if you're paying attention to the story here, but there's five sets of laborers, and they're all working and getting jobs, but they're not getting them at the same time. They're getting them spread out throughout the day. Now, I think it's important for us to, under, to understand a typical workday in ancient time. A typical workday was somewhere around 6 a.m., and it usually concluded somewhere around 5 p.m., or 6 p.m. That was a typical workday, similar to how we, we do our hours now. But in the text, I need you to pay attention to this. It says the first hour, that would have been the first set of workers, that would have been they were ready at 6 a.m. and they got the job. Then there is the third hour, that is 9 a.m. That, that, that is, you know, that's, we see that in Acts chapter 2. Remember when 120 was sitting in the upper room and the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell and they started to speak in tongues and they went outside and then the people outside were like, man, these, these, these people are drunk. And Peter says, they're not drunk as you suppose, but what does he say? He, he say? he says, it's not even the third hour. In other words, it's not even 9 a.m. By the way, that's just a, that's a good parameter. You know, even mimosas at 9 a.m. is just like not biblical. <laughs> Gabe, I hope you hear me. Sixth hour, that's 12 noon. Ninth hour, that's 3 p.m. Eleventh hour would have been considered 5 p.m., the ending of the day. 
Now, this is so important for us to understand these hours. The first set of workers were hired at 6 a.m., and they worked all day. Jesus sees these people at the 11th hour, a.k.a. 5 p.m., and says, why do you stand here all day? That means they did no work all day. And then finally, he says, you come to the vineyard too. And they begin to work, and the text tells me that they only worked for one hour. Now, don't miss this. It's very clear to me that contractually, the only people that were in contract with the master of the house was the first set. Because the first set, he said to them in the, in the, top, of the, in the top of the passage, he says, I hope y'all are paying attention here. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in the vineyard after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day. By the way, they're not being slighted. Because a typical workday, the minimum wage at that time was a denarius a day. That, that's not slighting them. That's, that's pretty consistent with what everybody else got. And so Jesus isn't slighting them. He's making a contract with them. But please don't miss this. Nobody else gets the contract. The third hour, he says, whatever is right, I will give to you. The sixth hour, whatever is right, I will give to you. The same for the ninth hour, the same for the eleventh hour. He does not make another contract. Now, the first group of workers, that they're, they're probably sitting there like, it's no way you're going to pay the people that got hired at five o'clock what you paid me. But what I think Jesus is doing is Jesus is helping us to see that contracted faith isn't kingdom. What's kingdom is trusting when he says, whatever is right, I'll give to you. In other words, the first group trusted in the contract. The rest of them all trusted in the goodness and the, of, the, of the master, and they believed in his promise. In other words, they had faith that the master of the house was going to make good on his promise. Now, you got to stay with me. Contextually, I, I, it's important to understand the reason this parable is even here. Now, here in 2023, your Bible probably has breaks, in, in other words, like chapter breaks, so we're in chapter 20, but really, contextually, chapter 20 flows right from chapter 19, because in chapter 19, the Bible says that Jesus, that this large crowd is following Jesus, and as they're following Jesus, the Pharisees start to, 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 to come at Jesus and critique him about divorce, and then he goes on to meet a guy that's called a rich young ruler. Now, the rich young ruler is trying to figure out how to get into heaven, but don't miss him. He's trying to get into heaven by contract because he's like, Jesus, what do I got to do to get in heaven? He's trying to get that contract signed. And Jesus like, well, do this and do this. And he's like, I did all that. I'm good. Well, Jesus is like, all right, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And that's where he walked away. He could, he could not sign the contract. And I wonder if Jesus at that moment was going, oh, there's people that are listening in the audience right now that are trying to buy into salvation through a contract. So I need to slip a story in that helps them to understand you don't want to sign a contract with me. You want my grace. That, that's, what, that's what Jesus is trying to get them to see. Because what he wants to help them to see that the kingdom is not earned. The kingdom is a gift. If you don't hear nothing else I say, please hear this point. The kingdom is not earned. The kingdom is always a gift. And I believe many people, even in this room, those of you who are online, and I believe that they were in the first service, I believe that there are some people that are here right now that are really buying into contracted faith, where you're working for Jesus, but there is no real love, there is no real trust, there is no real faith, but you're working, and you're, it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like Martha, right? You're, 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 you're a Mary, and, and, and Martha, no, Martha's working, working, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's almost like that, where we're working. You're a good employee of Jesus, but Jesus ain't looking for employees. He got angels. He's looking for sons and daughters that build not off of contract, but off of relationship. The kingdom is not earned. The kingdom is a gift. And here's the problem with contracted faith. The problem is you actually get what you earned. The, the problem with the first set is that they got what they earned. He, they didn't get less. He didn't slight them. He didn't give them more. He gave them what they earned. You know who got grace? The third hour. 
the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour. They got what they didn't deserve, especially them eleventh hour folk. They sat idly all day. They didn't break a sweat. And finally, they did a little bit of work, and they received what the first hour got. He said, man, I'm going to give y'all a denarius just because I'm gracious. I'm going to give y'all exactly what I made a contract with, with the, the, the rich young ruler type of people that are in the audience that want to buy their way into heaven by a contract. This actually shows us that the kingdom is not something that you can earn. It actually is I bring nothing to the table and my relationship is purely based on grace. Only a fool would stand before God and appeal to a contract. Only a fool would stand before God and appeal to merit. Only a fool would stand before God and be like, look, God, look at what I did. Only a fool will stand before God and start to list out all your good things. You know what you're doing? You're pulling out the contract. Only people that are enlightened and their hearts are made aware of Jesus stand before God and don't appeal to merit, but appeal to grace. When I stand before the God, before God, that's the only thing I'm saying. God, I need grace. Because if you give me what I deserve by a contract, I will be condemned to hell forever. There, there's a song by Anthony Brown that says, I'm so glad that God never gave me what I deserve. See, I know what you're thinking right now. Well, what, what do I deserve, Pastor B? You know what you deserve? You deserve Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is... Come on, somebody say that. The wages of sin is You know what we earned? We earned death. And here's the thing. If you get anything other than death, that's grace. If God allowed you 24 hours in heaven, he said, you know what? I'm going to give you the, your eternity is going to be in, heaven, in hell, but I'm going to give you 24 hours in heaven. That's more than you've earned. You didn't earn 24 hours in heaven. You didn't earn a second in heaven. You didn't earn any time to bask in the glory of Jesus Christ. We all earned death. And so if we appeal to contract, God is like death. God is like condemned. God is like it's over. And so my, my appeal is to grace. And only people who like you really, really know you're a sinner. Like, I'm not talking like you, you think you're a sinner because of behavior and maybe you stop having, you know, now I'm abstinent again, so I'm, you know, I'm good. I'm talking about people that know your thoughts ain't right, people that know your inclination ain't right, people that know sometimes you do good with bad intentions. I'm talking about people that know that you have inherited sin. That means you ain't got to do nothing, but you're a sinner just because you were born of a sinner. I'm talking to those people. Those are the people that got to understand that if we appeal to contract, we get death. We appeal to grace. Here's what, here's the type of faith I want to have. I want to have the faith where I'm like, God, whatever, whatever you give, where he says, whatever is right, I will give to you. I want to have faith that the master is good. Now, here's what's crazy. What's crazy is the entire tension in Matthew chapter 20 could have been avoided if Jesus simply, or the master of the house, simply reversed the order that he gave the payments. Now, why didn't he, and I'm sitting here, I've wrestled with it. I'm sitting here going, Jesus, why didn't the master of the house pay the people the order in which he hired them? He could have, came, he could have said, everybody line up. The first uh, group that I hired, y'all come, you get your money. And if they got their wages, they would have walked away and not known what the third, sixth, ninth, and eleventh was paid. But he doesn't. He intentionally says in verse number eight, call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last and up to the first. I, now I'm just, I'm guessing here. I wonder if Jesus wanted the first group to see everybody else get paid because then they will understand you don't want a contract with me. You want to see grace. And I think that is true because he wanted the first group to see it. I think he wanted those that were in the audience to see it. But I think he wants those of us in the room to see it is important to appeal to grace and never a contract. I think that's what he's trying to get. At. And so the first, the third, the sixth, the ninth, and the eleventh, he says, reverse it. Pay the last first. And in doing so, I wonder how the first group was sitting like, yo, I can't wait till he gets that. He paid them a day. They worked one hour and they got a denarius. We certainly getting three or four of those babies. But then he gets to them and he gives them exactly what he gave to the first group. 
Now, I think what else is at play here, and I, I really want you to pay attention to this because this one might get a little rough. I think what he's also showing us is how biblical deathbed repentance is as well. Because I know how y'all think. Ah, there's no way. Like, I done gave my life to the Lord when I was a little kid. You know how much I wrestled. You know how much I abstained from. You know how I really wanted to do this and I really wanted to do that. But I said no because that's against my God and so I'm not going to do it. And you look around and everybody else living any old way. Do you realize that they can live any old way? They, they can live as sinners all their life to their 93, sit on their deathbed, hear the gospel of Christ. Watch this and get what you got. Can you believe that? They will get what you got. And I know some of y'all going to see, that's not fair. That's the unfairness I'm talking about. But it's only not fair unless you need that grace at the last hour. Unless you're 11th hour worker. See, see, this is, this is also what's happening on the cross. Remember Jesus on the cross and he dies between two criminals? And one criminal is like, yo, man, if you he's funny though too because he's like, yo, if you're really the son of God, you'll save yourself. And then he says, and us. And then the other guy on the other end of the cross, he's like, man, we've sinned. We've done wrong. We're getting what we deserve based on, on, on the punishment and the laws. But this man, talking about Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Once again, affirming the sinlessness of, of Jesus. You know what Jesus says back to him? Y'all know it. Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. There are two things happening there. He says, number one, you die in today. Number two, when you open your eyes, you're going to be with me for eternity today. He did not say, get off the cross and go suffer, get off the cross and go, you know, deny your flesh, get off the cross and don't refuse that temptation. He didn't do any of that. He says, you profess faith, faith today, you will be with me today. And I'm so glad. This is why we should celebrate the unfairness of God, because God allows ignorant sinners like you and I to be able to be saved despite the fact we didn't live for him for the rest of our lives. Now, here's the thing. I, I, don't, want you, I don't want to breed people in here that go, ah, I got time. That's not what I'm saying. Because I know how we think. Some of y'all go, well, maybe, you know, I can do what I, my thing until I'm 93. The only problem with that is that's, that's assuming you get that last hour. Because the way I understand death, that thing will take you out of here quickly, swiftly. You won't even know that it came in. So what I'm not promoting is 11th hour faith when God is calling you in the third hour. Y'all hear me? I'm not promoting ninth hour faith if he's calling you in the sixth hour. He says, the day you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. And some of y'all in here, the Lord has been wooing you. I'm not foolish. I know that there are some people in this room and some of you online that no, do not know who Jesus is. I am not saying put it off, put it off, put it off. I am saying today, if you hear his voice, he's calling you to the vineyard. He's calling you to work for him. And so, no cap, Jesus will give you eternal life if you've trusted in him at the last minute. you got to understand what's happening here. He, he's showing us that our relationship with him is purely based on grace. Like you were saved by grace, you are sustained by grace, and the only thing that will bring, you, bring this thing to consummation is Y'all should have slipped it in like a little bit, you know, more bold at grace. I've been talking about grace the whole time. It's all about, it's all about grace. And so here, here, here's what I want to do. There's three, there's three implications that we can pull from this passage. I'm running over time. There's three implications that I want to pull from this passage. Three things that I want you to walk away and be like, okay, that's tangible. Sometimes I'm preaching and it's just, I, I'm not landed anywhere practical. Here's, here's your practical moment. Implication number one that we can draw straight from the text. There is no room for entitlement in the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. There is no room for entitlement in the kingdom of God. How can there be? It's a gift. How, like, how do you have entitlement in your heart when you earn nothing? The only one that really actually can walk away and act entitled is Jesus, because he's the only one that actually did the work. Like, consider that Jesus can be kind of a prototype for the first group. If, if they were uh, unfairly treated, is that not what Jesus was? Because Jesus is the only one that actually walked the earth and actually could have skipped and bypassed the very wrath of his father, but he doesn't. He goes to the cross, and the Bible says that it is with joy that is set before him that he endures the cross. So in other words, Jesus is the only sinless one that died for sinners. And then you, 
get the benefit of his unfairness by standing before God as though you live like Jesus. How can we be entitled when that's the gospel? How can we boast in ourselves when the gospel says you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, I'm giving it to you from grace and mercy? How do we become people that boast? Let me, let me back that thing up with a little scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a, here is that word, a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. How do we boast? First Corinthians would say, if you're, if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. That's the only boasting that we should do. The only boasting we should do is in, is in the Lord. And so the kingdom is not a place for entitled people. All right, implication number one, there is no room for entitlement in the kingdom. Implication number two, God's grace toward me should help me to be gracious towards others. I got to say this one again. God's grace toward me should help me to be gracious toward others. All of these workers, like think about it, none of them deserve anything. But the fact that they receive grace, it is no, way, it is no reason that the, that, the, that the six hour people should be begrudging the 11th hour. We all got grace. None of us deserve this thing. And so if we've gotten grace, why are we not eager to give grace? And here's my experience with, with Christian folk. No, church folk. Because I want to make a, there's a differentiation between these two. Here's my, here's my problem is that oftentimes we want to be, um, we want to receive grace from others when we mess up, but we extend law and rules to other people. We, we want to be dealt with with grace, but we don't want to deal with others through grace. And at the core of that, I wonder how many of us are walking through being graceless as though we, as though we earned this thing, as though we deserve this thing. And you know, You know this really shows up with how we look at other sit as well. Listen, I, I'm telling y'all, I've been passionate for a bit now. I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot. I've heard of a lot of sins that would make you cut your pearls. I've heard stuff that you would be like, oh my God, people do that. People did that. How disgusting. But you know, I never think to myself how disgusting. You know what I'm thinking to myself? Two things. I'm always saying, we're sinners. It should be worse. You know the second thing I'm thinking? God, you are so gracious that you save people like us. Like us. Like, consider this, that God has given sinful people the ability to walk with him. I never want to, and I don't want Epiphany to be the place where we look at people's sin as though it's gross. And let me be careful. I want us to be a place where we lovingly challenge sin. I want us to be a place where we engage sin, but we cannot be a place where we judge people because of their sin. I, especially people that you visibly see their sin. Because that's what we do. We say, like, it's, it's kind of like, it's like chips. Like, consider it this way. All of us in this room, all of us in this room have different, we have different inclinations when it comes to sin. We don't all have the same uh, appetite when it comes to sin. We're not all lured by the same thing. If we pass the mic, we all got different things that draw us in. Consider it like chips. There's a lot of different flavors to chips. Jalapeno chips, sour cream and onions, Fritos. And what we do is we like a certain flavor but we judge others. And we be like, ugh, she like barbecue uh, flavored chips. Meanwhile, we come into the church with Cool Ranch Doritos all over our mouth every Sunday. And we judge everybody else. But here's the reality. So you won't walk away. You got to understand judgment by chips. When you eat chips this week, I need you to understand this. If you have been given grace and I have been given grace, there is no reason that we should look down on others and be like, their sin is so disgusting. So was yours. Because I think we think their sin is disgusting as though God looks at it, a, a, a murderer, as different than a liar. There's no difference. And, and to think there is a difference, now there's a difference in punishment, but there is no difference in acceptability from a holy God. The, the liar unrepentant gets what the murderer unrepentant gets. But here's the beauty in the gospel. The liar that repented gets what the murderer that repented gets. So the grace of God. Implication number one, there is no room for entitlement in the kingdom. Implication number two, God's grace toward me should help me to be gracious towards others. Implication from the text number three, 
Jealousy is never the right response to God blessing somebody else. <sighs> Y'all know we do it. Y'all know we do it. And, and if you're sitting here going, I'm, I've never had jealousy, you're lying. All of, us have had, all of us have looked at somebody that God blessed that you feel like there's no way you should have blessed them, you should have blessed me. We all have that, especially when you've prayed over a specific thing like, God, I need this, I really want this, and then God answered the prayer, but you didn't get the blessing, your friend did. Oh, y'all ain't been there before? Were you praying for something specific and you were very clear with God that you wanted it and somebody else got it? Don't lie. Those are the moments where it's hard to celebrate. Those are the moments where we be like, oh, God, you know, you should have you should have gave that to me. That's exactly that's exactly what they're doing. Look at the text. Verse number nine says, y'all take the clock down because I'm going to just take my time today. <laughs> the clock is distracting me today. I feel like y'all shaving time or something. Rushing me. Verse number nine. And when those who were hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received the denarius. Now, when those who were hired uh, first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. Now watch the jealousy that said in verse number 12, saying, these last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. They, are, they have, they have let, allowed jealousy to take root in their heart. And let me tell you what jealousy does. Allowing jealousy to take root in your heart always leads to bitterness. Not sometimes, always. And once it leads to bitterness, it leads to resentment. Some of you ain't talked to friends in years and you can't figure out why. I wonder if you were jealous because God put something on them that you wanted on you. And you know what really messes us up? The gram. I'm telling you, Instagram don't help us. It don't help us when it comes to jealousy. This, this past, uh, this, this past um, Valentine, Valentine's Day, I took you know, Ty out. I tried to do something. That's, that's like my night. You know, I, I take Ty out, and I, I took her somewhere. Very simple. You know, we just went and chilled. And then you know, I thought I killed the game until I looked on the gram. And my, my, my boy took his wife to Dubai backpacking across the desert. I'm like, yo. Jealousy will rise up in your heart before you know it. And here's the thing. All of us have done it. And let me spiritualize it as well. Y'all know we do it spiritually as well. We do it spiritually. I'm going to just confess. There were times in the early days of the church, I was going, God, I wish our church looked like this. Or I look on the ground like, God, I wish we could do that. And at the core of that thing is jealousy. You know what stops jealousy? What stops jealousy is contentment. Understanding that God put something on your plate that God wants you to be faithful over and you can't really be faithful over it if you're looking at everybody else playing plate going, God, I wanted that. I wanted that. How are you going to give them a denarius? You should have gave me more. Do you see? And notice the entitlement. I've worked all day. They sat all day. And you gave them what you gave me. And here's the quickest way to a blessing. Don't miss this. Is to be happy for somebody else getting a blessing. It's the quickest way. Jealousy doesn't breathe. And it's not a virtue for you to deny jealousy. You should confess it. You should repent of it. And you should be content in what the Lord has given you. And so three implications today. I want you to walk away is there is no room for entitlement in the kingdom. We see that in the text. Secondly, God's grace toward me should help me to be gracious towards others. We see that in the text. Finally, jealousy is never the right implication to God blessing somebody else. I don't know who in this room has been walking through and, and through life and you, you have this sense of entitlement. You have a bit of jealousy in your heart. And you know that the, the entitlement sometimes can be bred through how much you come to church and how much you serve. Can I talk to the people that are serving today? Shout out to y'all. But listen to me. Don't ever allow your service to become the thing that you hold up to God and say, look, you should bless me. You should. You saw I worked all day. They sat all day. You should bless me. That should never, ever be our disposition. You know, earlier in the, in the text, I, I quoted uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 13, for the wages of sin is death. You know what I didn't quote? The rest of it. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This entire text is about salvation. And there are some people that are in this room that are in the ninth hour. There are some of you that are in the 11th hour. You don't know because none, none of us know when it's our time, uh, when we checking out. 
None of us know our expiration date, but there's somebody in, in this room that you are on that last leg. I don't care if you're young. If COVID didn't teach us nothing else, the pandemic taught us that God would take you out of here at any given moment. And so some of you are in that third hour, that sixth hour, that ninth hour, and that eleventh hour. And here's what I want to plead with you for. Give your life to Jesus today. In fact, I'm, I'm just going to play something soft because I'm I'm, I feel like I'm going to preach too long today and I'm, I'm already long. Tasha told me that in the first service. Let me read verse 17. It says, and Jesus was going to Jerusalem. This is the rest of the, the passage. And Jesus was going to, uh, up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death. Then he says, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised up on the third day. Sandwiched into this, this passage, this story, this parable that Jesus is, this made-up story that Jesus is giving is a deeper truth that the kingdom of God is near. And, and, and Jesus has come to secure your place in heaven. He has come to secure you worshiping at the feet of him for eternity. Listen, we're all spending eternity somewhere. I'm just not that pastor that's, that don't preach on hell. I grew up in churches that we, we had a hell sermon every other week. And so I'm just, I just, it's ingrained in me not to be that pastor that shies away. Hell is real. Hell is hot. And it's long. But you know what? Heaven is real. What do they say? Gates of pearls. Streets of gold. That's what you will get to experience for eternity. But that's not the, you're not going to be marveling at the gates. You're not going to be marveling at the, at the, at the gold streets. You know, the Bible says in Revelation 21, there will be no sun. S-S-U-N. The light comes from the sun. S-O-N. Read Revelation 21. We will bask in the glory and the beauty of Jesus forever. And I just want to, I wonder who in this room doesn't know him. I'm belaboring this. If you don't know Jesus, as they used to say, in the pardon of your sins, if you have never professed faith, I'm not talking about I professed faith and I walked away like I'm, God is wooing you back in. I'm talking to the person that you know that you have not lived under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's calling you to the vineyard today. And I don't know which hour it is, but I know when he calls you, you should respond. Every head bowed and every eye closed. No contract. Grace, no contract, a relationship. The kingdom is so upside down than what we believe. He, he's turned this idea of fairness in this passage upside down. Here's what's unfair. That sinners like you and I get to call God our father through the work of Jesus Christ. That's crazy to me. I'll never, I'll never understand it. It baffles me, but somehow, some way, that gospel message does something. And I don't know who it is that doesn't know Jesus. If that's you, just do me a favor. Slip your hand in the air. If you would say, that's me, I, I don't know Jesus, and I want to give him my life today. I, I want to trust in this work of God today. If that's you, just slip your hand in the air. No judgment. If that's you, slip your hand. I know you're in here. I see that hand. I see that other 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 hand. Five people, y'all, five people are saying, I, I want to give my life to the Lord today. Five people are saying, I don't, I don't want a contract. I don't want to get what I deserve. I want to get what I don't deserve. Five people. I believe that there's more. I believe that there's more. You know why I believe that there's more? Because the scriptures are replete. That when salvation happens, most times you see it in revival. You, you, you see it in troves of people. 
droves and droves of people that are giving their life to the Lord. Every now and then you'll see one person. But mostly what you see is that when God is saving, he's in the vicinity of somebody else. For a second, I don't know why I'm going here for a second. I need y'all to get on your mind your loved ones that don't know the Lord. You don't know what hour they're in. Pray that God would call them. Can we start praying in this room? Pray that God would call them in. Those of you who lifted up your hand, I felt it in the first service as well. I'm not going to call you up. I get it. Sometimes I can be a little embarrassed. I'm not going to call you up, but Yolanda, if you could just wave your hand real high for me. Yolanda's right here. If y'all could do me a favor and just see Yolanda afterwards, simply because we want to get your information. There is actual next steps, not to salvation. Salvation is so simple. You profess faith in Jesus and that's it. You know, how, this is how you know it's salvation. When you say that's it, that's it. But there is next steps in, in, in when God saves you, we go from spiritual death to spiritual life. But you know, the church helps us go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And so we want to give you next steps. So those of you who raised your hand, I'm going to pray for you, but you can stay seated. Just see Yolanda afterwards because we want to get some information to give you next steps. Father, I thank you for each and every person that's in this room. I, I know, God, I, I know, I know they in here. We've, many of us have, have struggled with entitlement, many of us, and I'm not saying them, many of us, many of us have struggled with jealousy, many of us. Many of us have struggled when we see that you bless somebody else and you open doors and you grant favor to people that we don't think you should. So Lord, I pray that you would forgive us today. Help us not boast in our doings, but help us to boast in the fact that you saved us and you blessed us. So Lord, you can save others and you can bless who you want to bless. Help us to be content. Many of us have lacked contentment. Many of us have, have, that's why we go from thing to thing to thing to thing. That's why we struggle with our identity. That's, that, that's why we, 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 we've changed our hair color 10 times because we, we just don't know who we are. Lord, Lord, settle us and help us to be content in you. Help us to find rest and solace and peace and shalom in you. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Grace is best personified in your son, Jesus. So Lord, as we talked about grace today, help us to replace that with Jesus because he is grace. He's not, he's not the one that brought grace. He is grace. So Lord, we thank you, oh God, for the work that you've done. Thank you for these five people that said, I, I want to give my life to the Lord. Lord, I pray, oh God, that salvation wouldn't stop with them, but that they would be missionaries for you that they would be ambassadors for you, that they would be evangelists for you and proclaimers of your word. Father, do something miraculous in their life. Let us see a visible change, an emotional change, a mental change. They made the best decision of their life today. That's, that's what they did. They've made a lot of decisions in their life, but today was the best one they ever made because you're just that good. You're so good to us. So, Lord, I thank you for this time. Hide this word in our hearts so we would never sin against it. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our communion is coming around. As we talked about Jesus going to the cross in verse 17 and being crucified at the hands of the Pharisees and the scribes, and that one day he will rise again, we will be celebrating the risen Savior in a few weeks as we talk about on Easter, as we talk about his resurrection. But today, let's just let's celebrate his death. I know that sounds morbid. Let's celebrate his death because his death brought me life. And so if you're, if, you're, if you're a believer, if you've trusted the Lord, communion is coming around. Do me a favor. Grab one of these. This is the moment we get to celebrate Christ. Our worship team is coming up. Let's sing together. Let's worship together. And then Gabe is going to come up and do communion and give us the benediction. Grace and peace, y'all. I love y'all.